Welcome back to the In the Dugout podcast. My name is Jason Ward alongside Will McNamara and Joey Nagel. I'd ask how you're doing, but I think I kind of know the answer at this point. Not well. Um, I'll tell you how I'm doing. I'm in a downward spiral. Um, I've started to, the wheels have started to fall off the bus a little bit. I've watched the 2018 World Series documentary twice this week. Um, I've recreated the 2018 Red Sox roster, but with Kyle Schwarber and Jordan Montgomery, I've been playing with that. It's been a blast. Um, I'm living in a fantasy world right now because the Red Sox have pushed me there with how depressing the current state of the team is. Uh, you thought it couldn't get worse from where we were last week. It got worse. <laughs> Sox Winter Weekend happened. We got some insane quotes to go over from that. We are a very poor franchise at the moment that no one wants to play for because they won't give them any money to play here. How are you guys doing? I mean, you always have to sit here and have hope, you know, because this is our team and this is our livelihood. And, you know, Red Sox are always going to, you know, play for their city. But what are what are these owners doing? Like, it's almost like I'm starting to get used to it. Like, I saw the news today that Justin Turner is headed to the Blue Jays. And I was just like, that, that tracks. Yep. yep. It's just, it's brutal right now. Yeah. I mean, Sam Kennedy said about a week ago that payroll will probably be lower this year while building their young core of players. Basically saying that, as Joey said in last, the last episode, that 2024 is going to be a bridge year. That's basically what he confirmed. Said they're waiting on the, the prospects to come up the Roman Anthony, the Marcelo Meyer, and the Kyle Teals of the world to come up. So this year, they're just punting, really. And again, we talked about it last episode, how we thought this was the year that they're going in. Last year was the punting year. But they love to punt, and they're doing it again. And the the whole payroll thing about it being lower, we kind of saw that coming. Not, not necessarily saw it coming, but kind of pieced it together. Like, they weren't spending the money. We figured, oh, they're not really willing to spend the money. And it is cheapest of cheap like again we talked about well below the luxury tax meanwhile it came out maybe three days ago maybe today i saw it today that fenway sports group is um involved in a three billion dollar uh partnership investment thing into a pga liv golf thing i don't even know what that means you guys probably know better than i do as golf guys but they're three billion dollars i know what that means that is where their money's going um, and it's not the Red Sox. It's certainly not encouraging news. And, you know, you look around at the other teams that Fenway Sports Group also owns. I know that Liverpool fans are also pretty pissed at the moment because um, they're no longer the shiny new toy. And I think they're starting to experience what, what we've experienced for the past few years, where it's just, for lack of a better word, it's just half measures and uh, lazy, lazy, lazy roster construction. Um I've been really negative the past few podcasts and after the last one, you know, I sat down, I put the roster on paper and I looked at other lineups around the league and I saw how, like, I could start to see the vision that Jason was pushing where, you know, we're only a couple pieces away from being, you know, not, not a division winner, but a, a wild card contender. And as we know, once you're in, anything could happen. And you know, at the beginning of the offseason, my wish list was two starting pitchers and a right-handed bat. It's now gone down to I, I could see this team being a playoff team if they could just get one starting pitcher and one right-handed bat. And it looks like we're going to get neither. Well, they did get Giolito. So technically, they did get one starting well, pitcher. So then you can get yeah. your two. But they lost sales. So it's kind I, of a trade-off. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, I... I this was back when Paxton was still available. I thought, you know, maybe if you could find a way to get something done with Montgomery or Paxton slash like someone like Ryu, some, some veteran guy who can just go out there and eat some innings for you. Um, you know, so you don't run into the same problem as last year with having to go a whole month with three starting pitchers. But now we're hearing all this junk about, Oh, we're going to make Whitlock a starter again. We're going to make Hauk a starter again. We're going to make Winkowski a starter again. That's ridiculous. We know it, last year was the year that proved that none of that worked. 
it's I, think... I can keep going on and on about it, but we know how to maximize those three in particular. You're maximizing their potential when they're in the bullpen because all three of them are pretty dang good relievers. And Tanner Houck has the potential to be an elite reliever. I, I agree with what Joey's saying about you know all this and roster uh, roster management was huge. But I think the main problem that the ownership group has been having and GM and everyone who's running everything is we're not looking into the future enough. Because if you're looking at this offseason, we have a had a bunch of free agents who have decided that they're going to sign with other teams because the Red Sox aren't going to make a competitive offer. And, you know, if they're not going to pay, they're going to go find the money elsewhere and try to play for a good team. But as the Red Sox owners, if you're already considering that we're probably not going to make a competitive offer for this guy in the offseason, why aren't we doing anything at the deadline like we didn't do this year? Use the value that you currently have before losing it. It's crazy to look back on that. Like you talk about, we don't know what direction they're going in. I don't think they know what direction they're going in, or at least knew. Because you talk about Justin Turner just signed with the Blue Jays. You had the opportunity last year to deal him, and you didn't. And you could have got Edward Cabrera from the Marlins, a great starting pitching young guy. And and you just let him go in the offseason with no intention of bringing him back. They even said that they didn't have an intention of bringing him back. So just pick a side. Like he's a veteran leader, one of the most influential one-year guys I've seen in Boston. He did so much for this team in the city, and he was a role model for so many guys, Tristan Casas being one of them. And you can keep him and keep that guy around, great. Or if you're going to let him go in the offseason anyways, which seemed to be the plan all along, then why don't you trade him in a year where you're not really planning on competing anyways and get a young, controllable starter back in return. It's the same problem that they've had over and over again where they just let guys go to waste. Nathan Ovaldi, J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts. Bogarts is a little different, but still. All these guys who ended up leaving as free agents in the offseason who you could have traded when you weren't competitive and knew that you weren't going to give those guys real offers in the offseason, and they just whiff on it. They, maybe that's why they let Heim Bloom go, but still, that, that, that is a problem that is affecting us to this very day right now with the Justin Turner thing. And at this rate, if they keep going like this, it's going to keep happening. Like you have to, at some point realize, okay, if we're not competing right now, we have these good players. We have Chris Martin, Kenley Jansen. You had Justin Turner, Adam Duvall at the deadline, trade them and get value back and commit to the whole young guys future thing or build around them. Get some guy, Jordan Montgomery, get other guys in here and build a competitive team like there's there's two sides to it you can't do both at the same time they've tried to do that for so many years and over it just doesn't work and the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result and that's what they've been doing but it's just this is what leads me to believe among other things that there is some disconnect obviously between the front office and ownership that's been a thing but i think within the ownership group itself that kind of came out at at winter weekend for me because they were grilled by reporters as they should be. John Henry wasn't there, of course, but they were asked, I believe it was uh, Sam Kennedy and, John, and Tom Warner were asked, are you guys on the same page with John Henry? Like, is everyone getting along? Do you have the same vision? And they were adamant, we're in lockstep, they said. We're in, lock, we're in the exact same page. I think they got a little too defensive with that. And I think there is a disconnect between John Henry and at least Sam Kennedy, because Sam Kennedy cares. He was the one that came out and called the whole Red Sox fan base liars. He was saying that if you think for one second that we are passionate, committed, dedicated to the Boston Red Sox, you're wrong. You're a liar. And I'll correct you on it because it's total BS. Sounds defensive to me. I know he, he kind of walked back those comments the other day, but still, he said it. But th- that's, that's expected from ownership, walking back everything they say. There's no more accountability with these guys. Like every time they open their mouth, it's either a lie or something that they have to walk back. It's Tom Warner saying full throttle. And he's like, full throttle is how I like to live my life as a whole. That's how I look at my – he's walking back comments because you blew it. Yeah. And it's been full just- throttle at like the speed limit. Full throttle on a tricycle, maybe. They're, they yeah. might be like 15 below the speed limit, but it's all right. They're going to get a ticket well, for going too slow. They're old. They're starting to drive slow. Makes sense. 
Oh, John, there's no way John Henry can drive. Yeah. Oh, no, not a chance. Not a chance. I don't know. I'd love to see the last time he put his hands on the steering wheel. Yeah, he's not steering anything. One other comment that I want to add into this whole ownership thing, um, two actually, but the the first one being they come out this beginning of the offseason, talk about how they're going all in full throttle. High, uh, I almost called him Heim Bloom. Craig Breslow comes out and is like, yeah, there's no financial limitations. Like we're going all in. Uh, full throttle comment from Tom Warner. So I wonder if that side of the Red Sox management team um, – thought that they were going all in. And then John Henry's like, whoa, 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 let's slow down here. And then he kind of closed his wallet off, and then they weren't able to spend anymore. And that's why they had to now walk back comments and be like, well, we're looking towards the future, whatever. And so maybe that's where that that kind of came from, and there's that disconnect. And then one other thing that I want to bring up, the fact that I think it was it was Tom Warner. He said that they're not just selling like the performance of the team. They're selling the Fenway experience. That comment was the one that ticked me off the most. That's crazy. As someone, all of us, guys who go to Red Sox games pretty often, enjoy going to Red Sox games, the Fenway experience, yeah, it's historical. The seats are uncomfortable. The beers and every food is overpriced. Some seats you can't even see what's happening on the field. Like, I I get that it's historical and it's a landmark and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it is a destination for many people. But at the same time, like, for fans who actually care about the team, the Fenway experience is nothing if the team sucks out there. And, like, Boston is not the warmest city. So April until June, pretty much, it's uncomfortable. September, no one wants to go. So it just kind of ties into the whole thinking that I have that John Henry and the ownership just see it as another business venture investment, whatever John Henry knows that whether the team's good or bad tourists are going to come to Fenway for the history. People are going to come see the historic Boston Red Sox, the casual fans who still think David Ortiz is on the team. They're going to show up. They're going to buy the tickets. They're going to buy merchandise. They're going to buy jerseys. And so he knows that the team could be in last place or they can be in first place. Boston's going to come out and play or come see them play. And that's what it seems like so far. Yeah, the problem that I have with that comment is that it it really is just pandering to tourists. Uh, from you know, from all indications, you know, they don't care about the Boston fan anymore. They care about you know, marketing Fenway as a national landmark, a historical place. And yeah, it is. It's really cool. But you know, they're not doing anything to help help the common fan, you know, the working class fan from Boston who saves up to go to a game. These are the most expensive tickets in the league. And what this is telling me is that they view Fenway essentially as a tourist trap at this point, because uh, when asked about why they keep raising the ticket prices, you know, they they referenced how, oh, you know, we do the student nines tickets to give back to the community. That's ridiculous doesn't give back to the community you still make money yeah and another like, thing that i've noticed over the past couple of years is that you know fenway used to sell out every single game rain or shine there were those i remember those raw nights in april where it's like 40 degrees and pouring rain out several rain delays but guess what the stands were mostly full and now leave. now more than ever even th- these late extra inning games in the middle of the summer you see Fenway just be, be get emptier and emptier and emptier. And it's just, to me, it's a weird sight because I've grown up with Fenway packed every single night, no matter what. And now that it's becoming like every other stadium in the league, like not to go as far as Tropicana, but, you know, just an average stadium in terms of attendance. It's really sad to see. And uh, ownership is doing nothing to address that other than raise the prices of tickets and food and use the student nines as a cop-out once again. I mean, if you, I can understand the thinking in John Henry's mind in terms of like from a business perspective. Yeah. If you're thinking about finances, you're going to get your money either way. So sure. Spend less on the team. However, what I don't think he realizes is that's not sustainable because as I've said over and over, Boston fans are smart. They're going to pick it, pick up on what's going on. They're going to start having a problem. Like we talked about Red Sox Nation 
as we talked about boycotting the team and not going to games. Obviously, that's not really going to happen because, I mean, I still want to go to games. I don't care if they're bad. I want to go to Fenway Park. But as a whole, Red Sox Nation is going to pick up what's going on. There are going to be more empty seats. There are going to be uh, less sellouts. And over time, there is going to be problems that arise with that. Already, they're getting ridiculed in the media all across baseball, across the country for what they're doing right now. Like literally today, I posted about it. Ken Rosenthal, one of the most respected, well-known veteran MLB insiders, was asked about the Red Sox. AJ Pruszynski was like, are the Red Sox trying? Without skipping a beat, Ken Rosenthal laughs and says, no, no, they're not trying. Because they're not trying. And he was baffled. A guy who knows baseball better than really any insider, was baffled at what the Red Sox are doing, not doing. He doesn't understand it. And that's so annoying and hard as a fan to watch, not only because I know that it's right, but I'm tired of people talking about the Red Sox like that. And this is where I start getting all depressed, and that's why I've been watching the 2018 World Series documentaries, because this is not what I grew up used to. It's not what anyone grew up used to. For the whole 2000s, the Boston Red Sox were that team. They were the team that had a shot at making it to the World Series every year. And if it wasn't that year, it was the next year. And you wouldn't go, what's the longest we went without being in the World Series? Six years between th- uh, 07, 07 and 13? 13, yeah. Yeah. So this is going to be the six-year mark from 2018. So whether if we're getting the World Series this year, great, but I don't think we are. So that's going to create the new longest stretch. And it's just when the, when the Red Sox have been bad, they figure out a way to get good again. And right now, it doesn't seem like they are trying to get good or want to get good. They're just talking about punting till the future, punting till the prospects come up. And that's just not who we've been for the past two decades. Another problem I have is when they said, you know, we're waiting for this young core to come up, uh, Meyer, Teal, Anthony, they referenced those specific players. The Red Sox have the 29th ranked pitching farm system. And what is their glaring need? organization-wide it's pitching. pitching they've always needed pitching and by saying you're waiting for these young guys to come up it's wrong it's not it's not an acceptable answer because they're not the problem we've talked about at length on this podcast about how they just have an abundance of bats in the in the minor leagues abundance at corner infield in particular why are we not making these moves to add more pitching to this organization I like the direction they're going now with Bailey and Breslow. And um, they just hired someone from driveline who is like really, really uh, whatever. And so that's good. Organizationally, they're shifting towards a focus on pitching. However, if we're saying we're waiting for the young core to help us win games, it's going to take five or six years to replenish this farm system. I don't care how well you are developing it's going to take high draft picks and lucrative international free agents to bolster this organization's pitching staff. So to me, that that response made me really upset because it's not true. And you have these guys who are almost major league ready, like Nick York and Blaze Jordan, who are probably not going to have a spot on the team. They're blocked at their positions. Why don't you package these guys together and trade them before it gets too late? Because especially with York, we're reaching the point where it is getting a little too late to deal him and get the return that you want. Exactly. They're just going to rot down there. It's the same thing I started out the episode talking about where they didn't trade JD, Evaldi, whoever at the deadline. This is similar. They're missing the window to trade these guys who are log jammed. And to kind of go off of what you're saying, there's just a lack of continuity. They say that they're going all in on pitching. That's their focus. And they get Breslow and Bailey, the drive time and the other guy all these guys to focus on pitching development. That's cool, but you need pitchers to develop. Like I, I know that they they look at teams who have made these nobodies into studs and they want to do that, but that's not going to happen nine out of 10 times. You get lucky with that. You're not going to turn whoever Cooper Criswell into a Cy Young guy. You're, you're going to have fits. to actually, yeah, you're going to actually have to bring in talent. Like you need talent, raw talent to develop. You can't just turn some guy who was working on a 7-Eleven the other day into a stud. Like maybe you can for a year, but that's not sustainable. And Which so, is what makes all these moves more frustrating. Right. Because right. they've had every opportunity 
in you know the the trade deadline all this offseason to go after pitching talent that was available that have shown signs of wanting to play in Boston that like can help us win that are already developed that we wouldn't need to sit in the minors for three or four years and we've done nothing with all of them and then we sit here and draft and take middle infielders and middle infielders and corner outfielders because we already have 20. Let's just get a few more. Pitching also is hard to develop. So there's a difference. Like, yeah, you can have a homegrown guy like Xander Bogarts, a homegrown guy like Mookie Betts, who turns into a superstar player. There are m- much fewer examples of that happening with pitchers because a lot of the time, pitching is so um, variable. Like, it's so he could be hurt one year have a bad season next season, and then have a Cy Young campaign. Look at Blake Snell. He was awful last year or two years ago, and then he won the Cy Young last year. And it, it happens all the time. You look at Red Sox pitching prospects over the years. Henry Owens? Like, <laughs> we over and over just don't develop pitching. So I guess I get why you want to develop pitching. But at the same time, when there is a developed pitcher who has proven himself out there on the market, like a Jordan Montgomery, that's a guy you should bring in because it's not it's not a question of can he perform. It's he he's going to perform. Where is he going to perform? Is it going to be for you or someone else? That's why it's not all about drafting, all about prospect development. Yeah, that's important, but you also that's why free agency exists. That's why people win World Series from free agents. 2018, JD Martinez, free agent. You brought him in to fill a gap. Right now, you have a gap in the pitching rotation and there's a free agent out there who can fill that. There are other free agents who can fill that. That's the point of free agency. But whatever it is in their mind, whether it's they don't want to spend or whatever thinking is going on there, they just don't feel like they're, they're just not supporting the players on their team with other players, and they're too focused on developing. Development's great, but you need to actually have proven MLB players at the same time. It's a balance. Everything's a balance. Yeah, and developing pitching is just so risky too because especially these days, I mean, you kind of have to bank on these guys going down with TJ and missing a year. And yeah. um, you know, you look at these top arms in your organization as well. They're, you know, Luis Perales, Winkleman, Gonzalez, they're like 19, 20 years old. So still quite a while away. Um, I feel like we're seeing the age of starting pitchers go up and up and up in terms of debut because they do get you have to be so careful with their usage in the minor leagues. And it takes a few years once they reach the majors to build them up and make them a 160 inning pitcher. And it's just so hard. And that's why, you know, going free agency is kind of the best way to bolster your rotation because you have these proven guys, you have the, you know, you can pay these guys exorbitant amounts of money. Don't get me wrong, but you know, if you're a pitcher who reached free agency, you probably already had your Tommy John. Um, and people know what your injury history is like. And a guy like Jordan Montgomery, you know, he, he's been really healthy over the course of his career. He's one of those rubber arm pitchers who, you know, he can, he will go out every five days. He will give you 180 to 200 innings and he's going to give you quality, quality work, you know, from a three, five to a four, that's all you need. And what he's asking for right now is, somewhere in the ballpark of three, four years, 75 to $100 million, I think that's a worthwhile investment. And the longer that you wait, you know, that price is probably going to go down, but you got to be the, the team that comes out with him because he's a, he's a guy who can be a staple in your rotation. And I don't understand why the Red Sox are so scared to give that third year, it, especially for a guy like him. He's proven. He's like we've said, he's like John Lester. We should know we had him. We know what to get, what we get out of those guys. The one thing I'll say on that, you say you don't know why they're scared to go another year or two. They have a pretty bad history with signing pitchers. The Chris Sale extension was horrendous. The David Price contract was not good. So I can get why they may, John Henry may have a bad uh, taste in his mouth from those. But at the same time, every player is different. You got to look at their profiles. Like Chris Sale was built like a paperclip. Like you, you kind of had uh, some idea that maybe he might have some injury problems. But like you said, Joey, Jordan Montgomery has a great track record. He's built like a, a durable pitcher, John Lester-esque. So 
it, it's not that risky of an investment. Obviously, every pitching investment is a little risky, but we're also talking about a year or two more. Like I, I, I think the Red Sox are probably in the one to two year range, and he's in the three to four year range. Meet in the middle, get three, give him four. Who cares? He's what, 28, 29? That, that's fine. Um, but the Red Sox are just at this point, this close to what, two weeks away ish from pitchers and catchers reporting. They're just trying to wait him out and hoping that he doesn't get another deal. So he's forced to take their deal of one year for a McChicken. Like they're just trying to wait until there's no other option and he has to take theirs. That's not really a good plan of action, but that's how the Red Sox are. That's what we're used to these days. That's what they do. Um, but when you talk about, I think this is so important to bring up again. They're waiting for the young core. And as we said, there's no pitching in that young core. 29th in, in prospect ranking for pitching. So how can you logically say that you're waiting for the young core to come up when pitching is your problem and pitching is not in the young core? Meyer, Teal, and Anthony can all come up and be studs, all-stars, MVP level. But at the end of the day, that's not going to help you that much if you can't pitch. Like if your staff has a, a five ERA, it doesn't matter. Like you, you'd have to be winning all those games 15 to 12. Like that, that's not a sustainable plan. And the other part of it too, again, talking about the, the future young core prospects of the future. If you're so focused on how the future of the team is going to be and wanting to have a really solid core for the future, then why has Tristan Costas not been approached this offseason about an extension? Why is he still unsigned and not it didn't even come up. He has been going out this offseason. Alex Cora called him the MVP of the offseason because he's been putting in work on his game for sure. But he's been visiting hospitals. He's been doing charity events. He's been doing all these different events. He's he's in a kitchen one day cooking sushi. He's in a hospital the next day. He's in a, a, a nursing home flirting with some grandma the next day. Like He has been everywhere doing everything as the face of the Red Sox this offseason. And despite being that busy doing all that for the Red Sox, they haven't for a second been like, hey, you want to stay here long-term? Here's an offer. It hasn't even come up. That's absurd to me. Like, how can you talk about the young core and then not lock up a guy like Tristan Casas, who is a key part of that young core? You got Devers. That's great. Casas, you should not wait until you waited for Devers to sign him. You should get him now while it's affordable, doable, makes sense for everybody, instead of waiting, doing what you did with Bogarts doing what you did with Mookie, doing what you almost did with Devers, waiting to the last possible second until it's too late. And the same thing with Bayo. He said on um, some Spanish show like last week, he mentioned that the Red Sox hadn't even approached him and that he would like to stay in Boston. I mean, if this is your vision, the young core, especially on the pitching side, what's the newest trend in baseball these days from all 30 teams? Young, controllable starting pitching. That's exactly what Brian Bayo is. And now that you have Andrew Bailey, you might be able to transform Brian Bayo into a Cy Young type pitcher. And how are you, how are you not taking advantage of that early when he has said he wants to be here? It makes yep. no sense to me. That's I the can, most Red Sox thing Bayo. ever. I Just can real see quick. Bayo as oh go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say that's the most Red Sox thing ever. A player's like, I want to stay here, I want to be in Boston forever. And the Sox is like, nah. <laughs> What's up? Just get out. <laughs> no, but seriously, I think I can see I can see Bayo with in this offseason doing work, and he would be of the caliber of a he would be our bona fide ace. He will be our bona fide ace. And there's a chance that we don't sign him and lose an ace. Like we're just a farm system point, for other at teams. This point, at this we're point, we're a farm system for the MLB. Like here. Take all our studs because we're not going to pay him. We just developed this guy. He's right on the pre- cre- what is that word? Precipice? Precipice. Precipice of greatness. Here you go. Have fun with him. We don't want him. He's too good. That's what we do. That's who we are. Yeah, this guy makes our fans too happy. Let's just you know get him out of here now before you know any- anything goes overboard. Yeah. <laughs> he went eight shutout innings and had 13 Ks. Get him out of here. We don't want him. Fen- Fenway was the loudest it's ever been recorded. Sell the entire roster. Just get them all out. It was too loud. It woke John Henry up. You got to get him out of there. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, though, because guess who's probably coming back? Adam Duvall, baby. 
35-year-old or whatever he is, Adam Duvall. Can't guarantee that. Can't guarantee it, but, I mean, I'm not even going to complain. Veteran presence who's been on the team. If he's healthy, he can put together a 20-bomb season, maybe 30. Like, Like, it's the whole continuity thing again, though. Yeah. Like, who would you rather have, Justin Turner or Adam Duvall? It's It's Justin Turner. Do I even have to answer that? Like, I actually – I'm a little higher on Duvall just because I think I can see where he fits on this team now. I get it. We have a lot of outfielders. Go ahead. Where does he fit? Tell me. I think he, him and Yoshida switch off between DH and left field. What about and William Abreu? Right field. And then Tyler center... O'Neill? You forgot I about Tyler O'Neill. on this team. Okay. So this, 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 this might be an issue. Tyler um, O'Neill is the new Adam Duvall. Yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, shoot, forgot about that. I I gotta tell you, I <laughs> I was excited. We were excited about that O'Neill trade, and like I feel like the entirety of Red Sox Nation has forgotten that he exists. Because we didn't also, want the, the biggest is, move though, this offseason to be Tyler O'Neill. Yeah, we don't want that to be the one we're remembering. <laughs> but also, like. The thing with O'Neill is he is a very injury prone player. So like how much can we guarantee that we're going to get out of him? But out of that out of that outfield, someone's getting injured for sure. Oh, for if sure. Not all and of them. I, yeah. I think Rafael, gonna... the way that things are shaking out, he's probably going to start in AAA. Um, yeah. You know, I, I I don't really mind. You got to he's got to work on his plate approach. But anyway, so with Duval, we know that when he was on the Braves in 2021, he hit 34 homers led the major leagues in RBI and that was playing left field. And last year he even said like, I am a lot more comfortable in the corner outfield than center field. And, you know, out of necessity, we're like, no, you're playing center field every day at 35 years old. Um, Yeah. Carry our team, please. Yeah. And he still put together when he was healthy, he put together a very productive year. He was a good hitter. He was actually a quality middle of the order bat, even though there is a lot of swing and miss with him. But when he plays the corner outfielder, outfield spots we tend to see his offensive numbers tick up so if if he comes back on a one-year five million dollar deal it's whatever for me because that's so low stakes but the the potential return on that investment is so high and you can get Yoshida off his feet a little bit more I think we're at at this point now that JT is gone Yoshida is probably going to be the full-time DH and if you know those those vets like potentially Duval need a breather he rotates rotates in with that and you can mix and match that outfield um i but another thing is with abreu i feel like we're putting a lot of pressure on this guy he came up for a month and he he played very well he hit really well had a great plate approach but the red sox are kind of banking on him as being the next everyday right fielder and i feel like that's a little bit too lofty of expectations to put on a guy who you know he was up for a month and he was gone for a week cuz he had a kid <laughs> yeah I mean, I don't know, because again, Tyler O'Neill is there, and I feel like they could end up platooning. Like, there's a lot of options where I don't know if they're necessarily banking on him on, on being an everyday guy, because I don't think anyone out there is an everyday guy. Maybe Duran, but there's just so many different options and different strengths of that outfield. I feel like it's just going to be platoon central out there, and there's going to be so many moving pieces. The Red Sox have been talking about ever since JD left, how they would love to get versatility out of the DH spot and be moving guys around every day and have Yoshida as a 60% DH, 40% field guy, or 65, 35, whatever. So I, I've been wanting Jorge Soler. That really locks up the DH spot. Adam Duvall can field, gold glove corner outfielder for sure, but I just don't know if he is the right-handed bat that you need in the lineup because again, I just feel like he's so similar to Tyler O'Neill. I feel like they're the same player where they're going to strike out a third of the time. They're going to hit some awesome bombs and have some cool plays in the field, but they're going to hit 150 in a month. Because if you look yeah, at Adam Duval, Duval's stats, he's so streaky. He ended uh, September with a 147, 149 average, I think. He'd have, he'd bat 300 one month. August, I think he was 300, 350 or something. Month before that, he was in the hundreds again. He's just streaky. And I remember at one point last season, Adam Duvall was either the best player or the worst player on the team. 
he would have the the clutchest month where he hits five homers in a week. Um, but then I would remember other times where he would come up with runners in scoring position and he'd strike out swing on three pitches that are in the dirt and put together bad at bats. And nothing against Adam Duvall. I love Adam Duvall. He, he played a great role for us last season, had some very memorable, important walk-offs. But I just don't know if he is the the right option for what we're doing. Like, given the state of the team, I'd rather have a flexible DH spot where you can move guys in and out of, not just Adam Duvall and Yoshida. Like, I'd rather Bobby Dahlbeck get some reps in that DH spot. Say, say Nick York comes up and they want to try him out and they don't want him playing defense all the time. You can put him in for a game or two at DH. I'm not saying that's hap- that'll happen, but the, the whole point is when you have that DH spot as more of an open area where you can move guys all over the field in and out of, it's a little more versatile for the team. And I just don't think that, I just don't think Adam Duvall is the right guy. I wouldn't be upset if they signed him, but it's not necessarily the guy that they sign him. I'm like, let's go, you know, but at this I, point, they're not going to yeah. sign a guy that's like that. You, you've kind of convinced me at this point, And I think this, this conversation actually really highlights how much losing JT hurts because yeah. like I, I have the lineup written out right now and you know, you're, there is really no consistency from the right side. Uh, you know, you've story, you've Grissom, Wong and O'Neill. If the season started today, those are the four righties in your lineup. And one other say- thing that I heard that opened my eyes the three prospects they keep talking about, Meyer, Teal, and Anthony, also all lefties. Yes. Um, yeah. I did I did see that as well. Um, but you know, Grissom has potential to be a good player. Uh, but you know, there's not he, he's still a prospect at the end of the day. And... He has so much pressure on him. I've heard his name being talked about so much in in media about how he's the second baseman of the future he's the ideal guy he is the everyday second baseman this guy yeah he's a good prospect and whatnot but he's very unproven at the major league level he's had a a tiny bit of success in some at bats but he's not a, a slam dunk by any means very talented player but the way that he gets talked about is a little scary to me because whenever you put that much pressure on someone it just creates problems and room for disappointment. Um, and really, that's that's kind of a problem across the organization with different guys. The pressure on Story to come back and be healthy. The pressure on, on Grissom. The pressure on Duran to have a repeat of what he did last year. That's not a guarantee. The pressure on Whitlock to be good, healthy, whatever. The pressure on all of these different pieces all across the team is really scary to me. And that's why I talk about bringing proven guys. And those are the, the the older guys that you're going to get in free agency. Because with, with JT gone, who's the leader on this team now? Um, Probably Trevor Story. That's Which, true. That's it's true. not the worst yeah. thing. Like, his fielding camp was pretty cool. It was cool to see some of the guys get together, and it, it seems like they do genuinely like each other. And I thought it was cool that Casas made it – he made it a point to attend that to set an example for the younger players. And I think that that goes a long way. Um, yeah, but now what happens when those younger players and that camaraderie that they're building, what happens when they look at what the front office is saying and doing and being like, oh, they don't even want us to win this year. Like, they don't yeah. even care about us. It's, yeah. It's, it's ruining it's, whatever progress was made and whatever momentum they have from a chemistry standpoint. Absolutely. And you can see, like, with that thing alone, there were so many videos posted to social media and it was, you know, story Grissom, Casas, Wong. And um, I'm forgetting someone else, but it was cool to see, like they were all having a good time, you know, uh, playing ball, playing basketball together, playing football. And, you know, it's cool to see a culture like that build with the young core, but in reality, it's going to be a while before that can make it to the majors and it may not ever make it to the majors. Um, Yeah. It's just tough. You're right. There's so many question marks, and we go through the lineup. These righties, it's Grissom, Story, Wong, O'Neal. It's a lot of question marks with that. You know, Wong is going to be a guy who strikes out 30% of the time. Same with Story. Same with O'Neal. Yeah. Uh, a guy if you like get Adam Duvall, same thing, too. Exactly. And a guy like JT, was he was so good uh, from a plate approach standpoint. He was so good at working counts. 
getting deep into counts, moving runners over, just doing all the little things right. And we don't have that anymore. Like, I think the only real hole in this offense is a middle of the order right-handed bat who can get on base. And that's a lot to ask for. But you know who that was in the past? It was Justin Turner. It was Xander Bogarts. And it was, even from a role player standpoint, it was like Christian Vasquez, a right-handed bat who would work a count or move a runner over. We had all those guys and we let them go. But other other than that, the offense is actually pretty good. I, I can't lie. It, it, you know, the lefties in this lineup. There's hope. Lefties. There's hope. I mean, I've been saying that. Like, as as negative as we've been, understandably, just a, just a, whoa. The landscapers at my apartment just started going at 5 p.m. on a Tuesday. I'm, like, trying to record a podcast here. They got in my head. I'm rattled. But anyways, we've been negative, justifiably. And there is positive, though, because... As I've been saying, this is the drum that I'll keep beating. This team is not that bad, especially offensively. Rafael Devers is one of the best players in the game. And outside of him, there are some very... I think Yoshida, in his second year in the majors, is going to explode because he really showed that he has talent last year. And now that he's more acclimated to Major League Baseball in the States, I think he can do some great things. Tristan Casas, I'm putting the ranch on him winning AL MVP. What happened, I don't know, but I am so excited to see what that guy can do this season. And I mean, I'm just excited for some of the guys that we've been waiting to be here for a while, like Casas and Bayo. And it just sucks that they're not. Red Sox ownership is doesn't care about this um, tier of the core. Like they're so focused on the next tier, they're not really. Duran, Casas, Bayo, this was the original tier of prospects that they were waiting for to come up, and they just don't care enough to surround them with other good players. Because if you did, this would be a very good team. Their offense is so, good. If you got pitching, this would be a very good team. Duran, Bayo, and Casas were supposed to be those prospects who supplemented that 2018 core. Yes. And look, they're all gone. Where'd that whole 2018 core exactly. go? Exactly. Ah, ah. It's so frustrating. That's why I get upset when I look at when I watch the 2018 it's World Series documentary over and over. It's self-inflicted, yes. It's not like these guys got old and retired, like David Ortiz and Dust Majoria. They're out there in their prime still. Bogart's maybe a little bit past it. I don't know what happened last year in San Diego, but his defense was crazy. Mookie Betts, that's going to hurt for forever. Never going to let that go. Nathan Avaldi, why is he not here? Why is he not here? I love Nathan Avaldi. Jaden Martinez found a swing again. I don't blame them for letting him go. But still, like the, the 2018 team is still out there at the top of the league doing stuff for the different teams. That's the worst part of it for me. It's not like they, they couldn't play anymore. They're in, they're in their prime. And the Red Sox were just like, nope, see you later. Not, not going to happen. We're not going to give you that money. We're not going to bring you back. We're going to move in a different direction. And now we sit here and we could have such a good team. That's the team that I play with on MLB The Show. That team's great. <laughs> they have they have Jaron Duran at the top of the order, Mookie Betts right behind them. Then there's Rafi Devers. Then there's Xander Bogarts. Put Kyle Schwarber in there. Tristan Casas. That's a great team. Nathan Avaldi at the top of the rotation. Oh, my goodness. That's what they could have had. That, that team mashes and... The rotation could also be yuck. Yeah. But, like, that's the thing. You would need to bring in all of the pitchers that we've formerly had and lost to have them because, once again, they're all gone. There's no one coming up to develop, and we don't make any moves for the veterans that are available. You know what keeps me up at night? <laughs> Imagine if you kept at least one of those guys. Imagine if you kept just Mookie. Just one. What if you kept just Xander? What if you kept even just Evaldi? It'd still be worlds better than what we have right now. But no. Yep. No. Nope. One no of my thanks. favorite offseason activities is to write out the roster and because it, it gets me to see how the how it fits together. And you like when I've done it this offseason, you can look at the lineup. It's solid, but it's missing something. But you look at the bullpen. The bullpen right now, elite. Might be a top five bullpen in the game. So much depth. and Until they stuff. trade Kenley and Chris Martin. I, yep. Even if you trade <laughs> Kenley and you slot um, either Martin or they Hulk trade into Kenley. that closer role, that's still a really good bullpen. Hauk is closer. Hauk is closer. I love it. 
And you have several multi-inning guys like Winkowski and Whitlock who could give you two innings of work on any given night. And it's like what you said before, though. You have this potential at your fingertips. Hauk is closer. Whitlock as a two-inning setup guy. These different options. And you're like, nah, let's try them in the rotation still, where it's not even a question at this point. We know it doesn't work. We've seen it. Up. We've been through that. But yet, here they are. And this is the year. They're, they're going to work in the rotation. Let's try them in the rotation. Let's put this random reliever who's never started before in the rotation just to see what happens instead of actually bringing in someone who's proven that they can do that. It's just all experimental, and the experiments don't even work. It'd be one thing if they put Whitlock in the rotation two years ago and they found out, oh, man, he was incredible, or last year, whatever. But no, he's proven that it's just not going to work. But you know what he has proven in addition to that? He's great in the bullpen. So maybe, call me crazy, but put the player in the position where he's most likely to succeed. Yeah, no. I've never thought no. about that. I mean, this the bullpen is solid. The lineup is solid but missing something. And the rotation is really just an arm away from being competitive. Like when you write out when you look at this roster all together, you're missing you've two glaring needs and I think you can get by with the rest. Those needs are a starting pitcher and a middle of the order right-handed bat. So so, you... <laughs> so to go back to what you said, if the Red Sox had just ponied up and paid Xander and didn't completely botch the Nathan Avaldi free agency situation, you have just those two. I don't care about Mookie. It was four years ago. I don't care. If you had just those two, this is a playoff team. <laughs> and the outlook is just so different because you don't have, if you had kept Xander and Evaldi, ownership never gets booed. And for the past two years, and it's, you know, they're still a good team. They're a winning team. And you're feeling excited about the young prospects. It's amazing what two players can do to an organization. Wow. But it's not going to be addressed. That's the that's the end of the story. That need, that glaring need, the need that could get you into the playoffs this year is not going to be addressed. It's not happening. And look, we're probably looking at another 78 and 84 season for the third year in a row. There you go. You know what this feels like? This is like when you have like a nine-leg parlay and eight of them hit and you're down to the last one and you get so close to it hitting and it just doesn't. And you're like, I could have had this. And it's something stupid. It's like, I don't know. The uh, the Celtics to win at home. Like, you just do Celtics money line to win at home, and they lose because they played stupid. I don't know. But the point is, we're so close, and I just know, despite whatever false hope I have, I just know the Red Sox are not going to do what we want them to do. All of Red Sox Twitter, if you look through it, they're all like, please just give me Jordan Montgomery and a right-handed bat. That's all they want. That's all we want at this point. Because that's all we just talked about it. Those are the gaps we have. It's so easy to do. Jordan Montgomery for the rotation, Jorge Soler, or Justin Turner. That's an afterthought now, but just give me those two guys. The gaps are filled. I'll forget. If you do that, I'll forget everything you said at Sox Winter Weekend. I'll forget the full throttle. I'll forget John, or Sam Kennedy calling us all liars and all that. I'll forget it all. If you just fill those gaps, and I can try to enjoy the season. You don't need to win the World Series. I just want to enjoy the season just with play some a competitive baseball. complete baseball team that can compete more times than not. That's it. But no, we're not. We're not going to do that. We're going to sign Adam Duvall, who's going to break his leg three weeks into the season, and we're going to put Whitlock in the rotation again. He's going to blow out his hip or have an ERA of six, and we're going to be in last place again. Sick. Cannot wait. Really, pitchers and catchers reporting used to be such a great thing to me. I would start a little countdown on my phone. I'm like, I cannot wait for pitchers and catchers to report and now it's like a ticking time bomb of when we're going to run out of time, run out of hope for them to do something this offseason. It's so sad how, how far we've, we've spiraled down. But if you want to go see the Red Sox play in spring training or during the season, as I know that you do, then SeatGeek is the best place for that. They're my favorite ticket provider out there. Uh, not only do they have fantastic deals, but they also provide you with tools to make sure you're getting great tickets. They give you grades on every ticket price so you know that you're confident. You know that you're confident. You're confident 
that you're getting the best value possible. They show the view from those seats too, so you know what you're getting ahead of time, and you get the tickets right on your phone, making it all easy. I'm super lazy, so that's very nice. Uh, with their wide selection of sports, concerts, shows, and more, SeatGeek knocks it out of the park when it comes to buying tickets. And you can get $20 off your first purchase with SeatGeek by using our promo code, DUGOUT. That's D-U-G-O-U-T, DUGOUT. Yeah. Uh, real yep. quick, uh, I got an idea. So, you know, back in, from what I can remember from high school history class, I remember that there were there were these things called coups where like a bunch of angry people, like an angry mob, just like go up to the government and say, we're in charge now. For sure. So like in theory, you think if if a bunch of Red Sox fans just got together, created this angry mob, went up to the owner's box and just went in there and we're just like, we own the team now. You think it would work? You know, kind of like the Green Bay Packers. They're owned by the fans. I would love for that to work. That'd be fantastic. I mean, that's our best case scenario, but unlikely. What if we get the Red Sox players in on it? Yeah. Alex Cora can lead the front. I'm sure he hates what's happening. More likely. More yeah. likely, but still unlikely. You get Wally at the front of the crowd with a pitchfork. Love that. Yeah. Big. Yeah, and John Henry would be in there like, like me. Why are they angry? John Henry's like, what's that green thing? You get the dropkick Murphys. Yes, they're all. Hey, they're always yep. down. They're always yep. down. And you just hear them like playing their their music as you run towards Fenway Park. I see the vision. And I like the vision. Yeah, you get there. How do it's you like, start? It's that? like those spy movies where you shoot like the grappler and you shoot it into the light stand on the green monster yeah. wraps around. And then the whole angry mob just climbs up the rope onto the monster. And then yeah. oh, now we're in the ballpark. They can't stop us. Tessie's throwing over hot dog carts. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd have to hold something for ransom, you know, c to get ownership to care. I feel like their most prized possession in Fenway is the red seat, even though it's fake. Like they love to tell that story. They're like, he hit Ted Williams hit one 502 feet the best seat in the house even though it's a quarter of a mile away from the plate i feel like if we just take that seat they'll have to take it seriously because then they lose the tourist attraction or what we take take a hold of is someone gets into john henry's bank account and just charges him like 3.99 a month he'll explode a cheap guy like that doesn't want to pay 3.99 a month nah, a lot of money nah a month. we take we take john henry's credit card right yeah. And we buy one Bud Light at Fenway. One. Bankrupt. His eyes will pop out of his head. Yeah. He'll go bankrupt. Yeah. And if we're if we really want to stick it to him, Fenway Frank too. That'll be seven fifty. Oh, How you that's doing? That's cruel, man. That's cruel. I don't Thank know if we could do that. I don't know if I could do that to a person. That would just be too brutal. It's financial terrorism. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> I like what we're thinking here. Um, it shows where we're at as a as a fan base right now. It's tough. I just want to enjoy Red Sox baseball again. I'm supposed to like them. I'm supposed to be a fan. I don't feel like a fan right now. I feel like I'm just being tortured. I miss the old days of when the Pats would win the Super Bowl, and then the next Monday would be Truck Day. Yeah, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, let's go. We just won the Super Bowl, and now the Sox are back. Let's go." Everyone and talks about how how Boston fans are so lucky and. They've gotten to see all these championships. But I don't feel lucky right now because I got used to winning those championships. The other day when I was watching like the, the conference championships for, fo for football and they do like the trophy presentation at the end, I'm like, I used to watch Tom Brady in this and Robert Kraft and Rob Gronkowski. And now I'm having year to watch year. Travis Kelsey yell into the microphone instead of Gronk. I'm like, this is not right. This is I'm used to watching them every year <laughs> in the trophy presentation after, at the end of the conference championship. This isn't right. And I used to be thinking, oh, great, the Red Sox just signed J.D. Martinez coming into this year. I can't wait for spring training to see him in a Red Sox uniform. But no, we've gone so far downhill from that. At least the Celtics and Bruins are good. At least there's that, but still. They used to all be good. There's always a sense of impending doom with those two teams. Exactly. Yeah, like the Red Sox and the Patriots, those were the teams that 
it was a coin flip whether they were getting to the the uh, championship each year. With the Patriots, it was more, better than a coin flip, but still, like it, it's just it's fun to watch when you know that your team wants to win, and that is not what we have right now. Yeah, that's why. That's why the Red Sox should sell the team. John Henry doesn't want to spend and doesn't care about the Red Sox. So you should go to our merch shop and get the Sell the Team t-shirt. We launched that shirt to push the movement. We also have some In the Dugout podcast merch up there as well. Go get your Sell the Team shirt and much more by going to inthedugout.myspreadshop.com. That's inthedugout.myspreadshop.com. And right now, for a limited time, you can get 15% off anything in the shop. Simply hit redeem on the webpage, and it will be applied at checkout. You can save some money. That's pretty cool. Um, Okay, last interesting fact of the day. Yeah. Joe Jakes is still on the roster. I don't like that. Get hyped. Is that true? I thought he got DFA'd. Uh, He shows up on the roster. Oh, that reminds me. I posted about it. I got an alert on my phone the other day. I'm just going about my day, as I do. I get an alert on my phone that the Dodgers are looking at um, high-leverage relievers, and their two options are Kenley Jansen, makes sense, veteran guy, stud, probably a future Hall of Famer, and uh, Ryan Brazier. Ryan Brazier is being looked at as a high-leverage option for the Dodgers. That's what got Heimblum fired. Let him go for it. The fact that they finally moved on from Brazier and he immediately became nasty again is exactly why he got fired. Ownership is like, this is why he's been around this whole time. We've been waiting for this. You let him go at the worst time. I can't imagine what his numbers would have looked like if we had kept him the whole year. His ERA would be legitimately six, seven times higher than what it was. Didn't he have like a sub two or sub one for the Dodgers? Oh, it his was ERA, ridiculous. His ERA would have been like nothing short of seven eight. Yeah. Not to sound like a loser and keep talking about my fake MLB the show team, but um I kept Craig Kimbrell as a closer. Dude just blows games like crazy. He has like a three ERA, but has eight losses from just blowing saves. That's the I put Craig him against the Yankees experience. and he just blew it. That's the Craig Kimbrell experience right there. Uh, Chris Martin has a 039 ERA though. Chris, Chris Martin got a side young vote this year. As he should have. One of the best relievers ever. Best reliever yeah, seasons ever. What a what a waste. He actually did have one of the best relief seasons of all time, and it was for a team that finished six games under five hundred. They're probably like, stop not giving up runs. We want to lose. Like, don't do that. I love Chris Martin though. Me too. Do you think Kenley Jansen gets traded? Yes. Yeah. They've talked too. about it too much to not pull the trigger. And especially if the Dodgers are looking in on him again, it makes too much sense for him to go back to the team that he was always with, you know? Yeah. And we love trading with the Dodgers. That's for that's oh, yeah, for it's their favorite sure. thing. And, yep. you know, the Dodgers are like, best we can do is a half-eaten Dodger dog and maybe a ticket stub. And the Red Sox are like, deal. Deal. Perfect. Don't don't even give us the ticket stub. <laughs> yeah. One last thing that I do want to mention. I forgot about this. This is funny. Um, John Heyman, clown. First of all, goes on his podcast or a show, whatever he does out there. I don't. I try not to watch his stuff. But he talks about how the Red Sox have a big move in them. Big move coming. And he talks about how um, I know they said they're not spending, but I think they're about to spend. No, they're not. They're not going out there and getting anyone. What are you talking about? Yeah, that was hilarious. Uh, John Heyman was like, uh, the Red Sox made it very clear at their winter weekend that they will not be spending. But I think they're going to spend. Every indication is that they're not spending. However, I got a little hunch. I think they might do it. No. All right, well, that'll do it for this week on the In the Dugout podcast. We thought last week was rock bottom. This one might be the new rock bottom. Let's hope we don't go for a third rock bottom next next time. I, I don't have faith, but give me something because this is not fun. Not having fun being a Red Sox fan. Uh, we'll see you next time, though.